Thank you, Ian. What a good truth and reminder that is that the great hope of Christian life is not just for this life, and there's much hope for this life, but the greatest hope is in the life to come, and uh, we rejoice and celebrate in that. Thanks, Ian, for helping us uh, worship and enjoy that uh, remembering today. Uh, That is a bit of a relief to me, and uh, that's the theme of our day, is a relief to know that God not only loves us and desires us in this life, but He also prepares us for a forever life to come. Uh, Thanks uh, ought to be extended to Dan and Eric in particular for helping uh, organize our men's retreat uh, this last 24 hours up until uh, last evening. Um, Sometimes sleeping in a dorm-style setting, you might need a little relief. Sometimes you can be with people who snore, not me. But there are others who might snore and uh, keep you up at night, and uh, you might need a little relief from them. But we're glad, hopefully, you got a little rest last night. I remember, uh, uh, I've always enjoyed eating, and I've always had the ability to eat a lot of different things. Spicy foods generally haven't bothered me much, but uh, uh, I remember this strange issue coming uh, at different times um, as I've gotten older. And I've, uh, at first I didn't know what it was, but I've since learned that it can be a little indigestion based on what I eat. And it's not a big deal, really. Um, but, you know, when it first started occurring, you know what my solution was? I would feel this odd sense sort of right in the middle of my chest. My solution was, well, just get a big glass of cold water and wash it down. Just get rid of it, right? Push it down. If I could just stuff it down inside, then it's going to be all relieved. And guess what happened? It didn't fix the problem. And then I began to realize there are other ways of dealing with the issue of indigestion and to find relief from indigestion. And it's good. God gives us so many good gifts in so many ways. Aren't you grateful for uh, medicines that help? There's a a way of finding relief. You probably remember an old commercial uh, back when I was a kid. It was on TV. And it went something like this. The tagline was plop, plop, Fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief. It is. It went something like this, right? The commercials, you would see it fizzing, bubbling, effervescent. Isn't it nice? Whew. I discovered that the solution for indigestion isn't to drink something to push it down. But I needed something different to go in to help pull it out, right? Something had to go in to grab hold of that which was uh, difficult for me and to bring it out. That was what really brings and delivers relief. And so it is this morning. uh, There are times I know that we seek relief from a variety of issues. I hear on the radio a lot commercials for debt relief, right? Right? Get your debt relief. Call this number and we'll give you a new loan. (laughs) Think about that. Isn't that fun? How many of you have been praying for sunshine recently? Because you're tired of the rain. I don't see many hands. Good. How many of you prayed for rain a few months ago? Because you knew that we needed relief from a year's long drought. Me too. Sometimes we need relief from anxiety or from fear. There are things that grab us. Sometimes we find ourselves in places where we need relief from oppression 
and people who are uh, un, uh, in evil ways sometimes or um, in inappropriate ways uh, influencing uh, our life. Sometimes we need relief from shame. One of my favorite sports broadcasters growing up was Pat Summerall. Um, many of you who are golfers, I'm not. You know his voice likely from decades uh, uh, commentating on the Masters and other golf tournaments. I knew him from NFL football. Pat Summerall grew up in Florida, um, and uh, he uh, ended up having a pretty successful professional football career. And when he was done with that, uh, I think back in the 50s, he turned his attention to broadcasting, and he was on uh, uh, TV. He was partners for a long time with John Madden. That may be a name you recognize more, uh, but they were partners together. And as his life continued, Pat Summerall really had a, a real struggle with alcoholism. In fact, it began to really ruin his life and his relationships and his marriage and all sorts of things. In the opening of his book, his autobiography titled uh, On and Off the Air, this is the introduction. This is what he says. He says, some, some of the people who loved him most gathered him for an intervention and he was not happy, right? He thought he'd been hijacked and um, hoodwinked, and here they are, and he was totally numb to their requests and pleas that he find help for his alcoholism until the final voice spoke, and it happened to be the voice of his daughter. And I'll read just a short little paragraph. He said, I hadn't been there much for my kids, but Susan's letter made it clear that I'd hurt them even in my absence, she recounted one incident after another. I was numb to most of it, sad to say. Yet her final words made my knees buckle. Quote, Dad, the few times we've been out in public together recently, I've been ashamed we share the same last name. My defiant mask fell away, leaving me shamed self-disgusted and weeping, the first tears of regret I'd ever recalled shedding. To the surprise of all, I numbly gave myself over to the people from the Betty Ford Clinic. That's on page three of his autobiography. Well, I was hooked. And uh, he goes on to explain his life story and some of the things that influenced him. goes on to talk about how his relationship with Jesus made such a difference in his life and brought relief from these things that drug his life down and destroyed different aspects of his life. He talks about the influence of Tom Landry, uh, coach of the Dallas Cowboys for so many years, and, and the importance of Christian people in his life. There are all sorts of times and different issues that uh, you and I need relief and God knows that we seek relief in the midst of our broken world. And at the right time and in the right way, for God's way is always good and timely. In the right way, in the right time, God provides the relief. Today we're beginning a new series in an Old Testament book known as Esther. And uh, Esther is an example of God providing Relief. When uh, uh, things seem to be at their darkest, we learn from Esther's story that God's light shines through. When everything seems to be stacked against the main characters and what God is doing, God reverses things, and it seems at the last minute, just in the nick of time in this story, we find that God delivers and brings relief. When we face our limited abilities, we will learn in the weeks to come 
when we embrace our own limitations, that that is perhaps the time when God is free most in us to do that which we need Him most to do. The Apostle Paul says it this way, that when I am weak, then I am made strong. Here's Bryce's paraphrase of that. Is that when I stand in my own strength, in my own sense of ability, God can work in that. But if that's all I trust in, then I am limited in my effectiveness and in God's ability to work through me. But when I embrace the reality that I'm limited, then God is free in ways unlike other times to do His most fervent and thorough work in my life and through my life. You know, we live in a world in our modern day where science and technologies have made us fooled to think that we can do so much and that we have very few limitations. And sometimes it seems that way. I remember going to the Hoover Dam several years ago, and I'm not sure anything has stuck in my memory uh, quite as clearly as this trip Susan laughs at me when I talk about it because it is just such a vibrant recollection. The kids are like, they love seeing the pictures the first two weeks and then they got tired two years later seeing pictures of the Hoover Dam because standing at the base or standing at the Hoover Dam and just looking at its immensity, I'm not sure I ever felt more small in all my life to see this marvel of 20th century engineering and to know that, that, that there's so much cement packed in that it's still curing all of these decades later. And to know that just not very many miles from the Hoover Dam is the city of Las Vegas. And you talk about a modern marvel of literally digging out of the desert sands a city where more than a million people live. It's remarkable. The things that we can do, and we assume that we have no limits or limitations. But what, in part, we're going to learn is that when we embrace the reality of some of our limitations and where our shortcomings are, then we set God loose, perhaps more than in any other time, to do the work that He wants to do in you and in me. It's about relief. It's about relief. I want to read a couple of verses at the very end of the book of Esther chapter 9. And then today's just a, it's really an introduction to help get us ready for the weeks to come. Here's what the Bible describes at the very end of the book when it's talking about the Hebrew festival of Purim. And Esther is the, the Old Testament book connected to this festival that Jewish people will read annually, especially around the festival of Purim. And this is for the reason, it says, Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar. As the time, listen to this, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. It's a book about relief. It's a book about how God delivers relief. It's a, a story to remind us and to usher us into celebration about the ways in which God administers relief, at least in part. Esther has a lot of interesting literary devices used. One of them is, is irony. How many of you like irony? If you, if you like humor, you probably like irony. 
Because most good jokes have a good punchline, right? And a good punchline is delivered when you're, you're set up and you're guiding people thinking the story is going this way and all of a sudden there's a quick turn. Whoop! I wasn't expecting that. It's a surprise. I get caught. And that's where the humor comes. And that's a lot of what uh, irony does for us. There's a, an old uh, literary device that Aristotle uh, described as... Uh, uh, if I can pronounce it. <laughs> I looked at this and looked at this. I'd never seen this word. Uh, Peripety, uh, which is a sudden turn of events that reverses the expected outcome of the story. And here's what's interesting about Esther, is that it's not just a, a simple, uh, you start, you build up to the, the climax of the story, and then it's resolved. But it is resolved with a series of turns of events that are unexpected and ironic along the way. So if you like irony and if you've never read the book of Esther, I think you're going to be delighted in the weeks to come. Here are some topics that we'll look at as we go forward. Is that God is present even when His name is not spoken. You know, um, the book of Esther, God is never... The word God is never used. God is never mentioned in the entire book. In fact, uh, Martin Luther, this is one of the books that he, if he had his way, he would have just pulled it right out of the Bible. Said, we don't need that. <laughs> Other Jewish rabbis have said, I'm not sure this belongs in the Bible because it doesn't even talk about God. Yet, even when God's name is absent, God is not absent. He's very present. When we don't want to speak His name or don't want to consider Him or ponder Him or think about Him, that doesn't mean God exits, exits the, the way. God is present even when His name is not spoken. Another aspect that we're going to look at is that God works in our greatest need even though we have this limited ability. And one of the things, we've already talked about that, but one of the things that Esther helps us point to is the work of Jesus that we've just celebrated over the last week in Good Friday in particular and Easter morning last Sunday is that what we need most is what we cannot do for ourselves. The Bible says that because of our sinful state before God, there is this gap that emerges between us and God. And we can't, we can't bridge the gap, but God does it for us. And so the very thing that our, our human limitations prevent us from knowing and being with God, it is God Himself who comes and does what we cannot do. In our greatest need, God meets you in that greatest need. I love the quote of Corey Ten Boom. In uh, her book, The Hiding Place, she explains how she and, and her family in Holland hid Jewish folks so that they would not be carted off to the concentration camps. And when they were discovered, she and her sister Betsy themselves were hauled off to Auschwitz, I believe. And her sister Betsy died in that concentration camp. And I love the ministry that Corey Ten Boom had after World War II was concluded because she went back into Germany and, and into other places and she began to preach and talk about forgiveness and how if Europe was going to be able to move forward, there had to be forgiveness. And here's what she said that has been so meaningful to me when I am at my lowest points of seasons of my life. She said this, when she was in the concentration camp, she learned one thing above all else was that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And so we learn some of that through this story. We also learn that we're not merely pawns in what God is doing, and our actions actually matter with God. God will move and work without us, but He invites you 
to join Him and to participate with what He is doing. We're not just pawns of God on some big board game because your life matters to Him. He loves you. And yet your actions do matter. They have consequences. And we'll see that in the great decision that Esther makes and the courage that she has and the way God works through her life. And then we'll look at the festival of Purim a little bit at the end of our study and what it means to celebrate. Celebrate the relief that God brings. What it means to celebrate that, that yes, there are times certainly of intense difficulties and struggle and sadness and mourning, and loss, and pain. Of course, life is filled with those. But God delivers us if we hold on to Him. Part of my hope through this series is that there might be a word we don't use a whole lot anymore, but it might be sown into us. And it's this idea of long-suffering. You know, it is so tempting for us when things in our, our modern day, when things get hard, we just turn loose. I don't need it. It's too hard. So I'm going to look elsewhere. And nothing could be worse for your spiritual development than when things get hard to turn loose of God. What God invites you to do through stories like Esther is to cling hold of Him. In fact, Esther Esther would ask Mordecai, she would say, go and call the people together and pray and fast with me. So that together we can make this decision and, and petition God and watch Him do what we so desperately need Him to do, yet we are limited in our own ability to do. And so we must have God come and act or else all is lost. And then we wait. There's this concept of long-suffering that I'm afraid in our world and the world that my children are growing up in, there's no sense of what it is to suffer long and to wait on God and to trust that God must move and do the things that I cannot do Myself, So I hope that we will hear those things. And finally, one of the areas that we're going to touch on is the idea of, of ultimate relief. Because we know that there are some pains and some sorrows in this lifetime that we will not be relieved from. But the great promise, the song that Ian reminded us of today, is that the great promise of Christian faith is that there is an ultimate relief There are questions to this life that we will never have answered on this side of eternity, but one day we will. One day the Bible says that just as God fully knows us, that we will also fully know. I believe that every question mark that extends and hovers over our life like a dark cloud, God will take that and He will stretch it out and it will become an exclamation point for you one day. It may be in a future day. Here's the story of Esther. It happened about 2,500 years ago. For those of you counting, that's 2,500 years ago. It happened in a real kingdom, a Persian kingdom, what we know today as modern Iran. Uh, The Jewish people had been in exile. The Babylonians had swept in, just as God said, and they had been carried off into exile. They uh, had now uh, gone... They were in a different place, far away from their homeland... Their dreams have been shattered. They've been praying, is God capable of restoring? And is God capable of working in us even if we're so far away from what we thought were our goals and inheritance? Uh, If you want to read in the weeks to come the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, those are 
kind of companion volumes. It's happening all, not companion, but they happened in similar uh, eras. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are some who were released by the Persian kings to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple there. We'll be introduced to a king named Xerxes. And Xerxes is the grandson of Cyrus the Great. And for you history buffs, you'll remember that Cyrus the Great is the one who conquered the Babylonians and began to develop and extend the Persian Empire. Um, if you like cinema, you know the movie a few years ago, 300, uh, was about a Persian war in Greece where these 300 Spartans came out and faced them at the Battle of Thermopylae. Um, whew, good stuff. Xerxes is the grandson of Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great began to develop and extend the Persian kingdom. And then a few kings later, Darius comes, and he extends the kingdom all the way from uh, India to Ethiopia, the largest kingdom the world at that time had ever seen geographically. And then Xerxes comes on and inherits this massive kingdom. We'll meet a woman named Esther, the namesake of the book. Esther was an orphan. She was raised by her uh, uncle, uh, Mordecai, and his family. We praise God for stable families, Lenora. Thank you. Thank you. We're so glad that you're here today. And we're grateful for the way that stable families touch and develop people. Esther is a result of that. And her uncle Mordecai. Well, let's not move off too quickly from Esther. Esther, we'll see in her a story of, uh, you know, she kind of finds herself um, in a position of opportunity and influence that was perhaps not pursued or expected, but yet... There she is. She has some really hard choices to make. And we'll see a little bit about those decisions that she makes. Her uncle Mordecai, he was a man who worked in the court. He was a government official. Um, and, uh, and then we'll see Haman. Haman's the... Yeah. Haman's the bad guy. <laughs> Haman's the one that... Um, uh, Chris and I were talking this week, and he, he was wondering if we could say boo every time we heard the name Haman. <laughs> and maybe you can, or just kind of hiss. That, that's the sort of character Haman is. Um, we'll see a little bit about Haman's character. And uh, his sole concern in life was to receive the praise of others and to find himself in places of prestige. That's all he seemed to care about. And uh, he was eaten up by that pursuit and... In the end, it caused his doom. That's one of the great reversals as we go through this story. You know, there's, I'm not sure, in ten chapters that you would find many other stories that have more intrigue, that have more plotting. We're going to encounter execution plots that are uncovered. We're going to hear about whistleblowers that protect the king. We're going to hear about how God works to deliver His people and the shrewdness of Esther along the way. If you have in your bulletin this little blue sheet, I invite you to pull it out. We're going to begin next week. And really, this is just this is an extended introduction. Shall I preach a sermon now? <laughs> You're like, no! I'm hungry! Next Sunday, we're going to look at what it means to get relief from that sense of angst that God is absent. Have you ever been in a season of life 
or you've wondered where God is, things are confusing and life seems muddled. It was clear just last year or a few months ago, but now, where's God? And it can fill us with angst, perhaps even dread, that God has disappeared. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk some the week after about finding a relief from seeking the praise of others, being driven in your life like Haman was, and the difficulties in uh, seeking the wrong sources for his um, purpose in life. And then we'll look in Esther's life about finding relief from a lack of purpose. What does it mean to be established in God? And what does it mean to be a teenager growing up? And to be looking at what is, how do you grow up into a relationship that is real and personal for you that shapes who you are? that shapes the way you think and the things you love and who you become. What does it mean to have with a real sense of purpose in life? And then we'll look the week after that about relief from facing crisis alone because crises, if you've not faced many in your life, just hold on because they'll come, right? And one of the great gifts of the kingdom of God is that you do not have to face a crisis alone. God plants you in a church family because we are together to carry one another's burdens. He Himself walks with you through that. So there is relief from facing crisis alone. We're going to look from about being relieved from the fear to act. Sometimes when we're faced with really hard choices, we can be paralyzed. And when it's clearly the direction of God, we need to learn to move forward in spite of our fear to let God fill us with courage and to act. And then we're going to look at what is this for God's action to deliver relief. And that really becomes the climax of our whole talk together, is celebrating God, celebrating His work for His people. Not just me, but for His people. For His kingdom. And at the end, we'll talk about and rejoice together in those seasons of rejoicing and being relieved Relieved after sorrow. So much of the Old Testament is filled with that particular theme. Isaiah talks about uh, a life that seems to have been beautiful once, and now when we look at it, all we have is a pile of ashes. And if we hold on to God, God will come and He'll restore that in time. And we, we continue to pursue Him, and He will exchange beauty for those ashes and, and a crown of, of joy instead of despair. Over and over, we know that a sunrise... When does a sunrise appear? What has just happened before the sunrise? Night. The sun has disappeared. And it rises again. And there are seasons in our life when we go through darkness. But there's a sunrise ahead. But we have to hold on. We have to wait on God and pursue God because He holds on to you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That is the promise of Jesus. Never left and never forsaken. God goes with you. Go with God. Living Lord, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for this reminder as we just kind of survey a little bit of this wonderful book. I pray for myself and all of us that we would be prepared, God, to hear from You that You would be guiding our thinking and our conversation and how we would interpret and uh, respond to these great 
ideas and teachings. For God, this is the substance of our personal life with you. These are the issues that define how we live together in your kingdom. And so we need to learn. We need to grow. And I'm at the front of that line. And so help us, we pray. Guide us now in our learning. Help us to be humble in the way we do it. And help us to learn to cling to you day after day, month after month, year after year, because our lives are given over for your purpose and for your glory ahead of our own. Help us with that now. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.